no one can eat just one, right? I mean, you just keep, you're, gonna, you're not going to eat two chips, you're going to finish the bag. Welcome to the B-Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm Brad Kearns, New York Times bestselling author, former number three world-ranked professional triathlete, and Guinness World Record Masters athlete. I connect with experts in diet, fitness, and personal growth and deliver short breather shows where you get simple, actionable tips to improve your life right away. Let's explore beyond the hype, hacks, shortcuts, and sciency talk to laugh, have fun, and appreciate the journey. It's time to be rad. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code Brad20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Hi, listeners. Please welcome Zane Griggs to the show. Kicking ass after... 50. And indeed, that is the name of his new book. He's got a new podcast called Healthy AF. Yes, that stands for After 50. And we are going to get into some important topics, in particular for those of us interested in aging gracefully. And so Zane's going to talk about some of the recalibrations that are necessary, uh, reflections and monitoring what he considers the most important metric, which is sleep, which is so interesting because we usually monitor our fitness progress with our time in our favorite running distance or how much weight we can lift at the gym. But we have to look at this big picture obligation of aging gracefully and managing stress in all ways such that we are not only excellent in our fitness endeavors, but also in our ability to relax, unwind, and have downtime. So Zane is walking his talk. He's a magazine cover boy. You can see all about it on his great Instagram content. Uh, his podcast is pretty hard hitting and he comes out of the gate with a, a series of shows that are just him in narration form taking to task 
the pillars of conventional wisdom that have destroyed our health over decades. So he has some choice words for the food industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and I like people fighting this battle. But as we start the show, he sets some important context that uh, the infighting that's occurring in the progressive health movement is kind of silly, which I would tend to agree. I think we all need to unite and realize that the major enemy are the marketing forces and the habits that we have built around processed foods, inactivity, sedentary patterns, overly stressful lifestyles, addiction to technology, and so forth. So I think you're going to get a nice, easy-to-follow conversation that will help you prioritize your daily behaviors uh, effectively. It's not going to get overly scientific or confusing or over your head. It's just a guy who's been working with clients for decades as a personal trainer. He's based in Nashville, Tennessee. He moved there before it was cool to move there and has been uh, working with you know, peak performers, executives who aspire to not only excel in that narrow area of life that is career, but also to enjoy themselves along the way and keep their fitness and their health and their cognitive peak performance all humming along nicely. So, and I also think you're going to appreciate how Zane uh, describes his journey of constant reflection and recalibration. In particular, he was a huge enthusiast of the popular restrictive diets of the day, fasting, low-carb, keto, and realized, especially as an extremely fit peak performer working really hard in the gym and with his fitness endeavors, that it's very easy to stack too many stressors, overdo it, and suffer adverse health consequences, in particular, your sleep patterns. So I love how this conversation is evolving in the uh, ancestral and progressive health space that we have these wonderful tools such as restrictive diets that can deliver instant and validated results, but we always need to zoom out and look at our stress factors in the big picture in order to not push ourselves too hard and over the edge into uh, unhealthy practices in the name of checking all the boxes and being super healthy and fit and organized and focused. Zane Griggs from Nashville, Tennessee. Here we go. Zane Griggs kicking ass after 50. And yes, that is the title of your new book. So I'm so enthusiastic to discuss this subject that, of course, I have great passion for. And you listeners, if you're under 50, you all better listen up. And if you're over 50, y'all better listen up. So we got some we got some issues to handle. We got your positive energy, um, your, uh, your, your cover boy on the fitness magazine and, and the great Instagram <laughs> content. So uh, I can't wait to get into it. Thanks a lot for, for joining us. Oh, thank you, Brad, for asking me on. I really appreciate it. This is really fun. So I found out you're from Nashville, and unlike all the super cool people who have moved there in the last two and a half years, you stake your claim a long time ago. So tell us about your journey uh, going from uh, the West Coast and then uh, a long time immersion in the fitness industry and then what you've been doing uh, lately. Well, oh, wow, that was that was quite a ways back. So about 25, it was 98 or so, I was, uh, I, I would, grew up in California. I had traveled around a bit. I was there. I need to start over. And I wanted to go somewhere where I could make a living and still hang on to it. So I, I had a buddy invite me out to visit Nashville. What am I into Nashville? I'm not a musician. Why, why would I go to Nashville? Yeah. But I got here and I loved it. And it was it was like this uh, very entrepreneurial city, great place to network and make things happen. Everyone's just kind of, you know, uh, really grooving and connecting. And it was it was a little bit smaller town, easier to connect back then than it is now. It's really grown up a lot. 
but uh, I was just getting into fitness uh, as a personal trainer. I'd been in, been part of important part of my life for many years at that point, for ten years or so, and I wanted to just do something I was passionate about. And uh, so I I had been doing a little bit in California, and I came out here and just kind of started. And it, I really that's when I really started digging in and 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 think you know understanding more about low carb dieting and then. Uh, maybe in 12 years or so, experimenting with some intermittent fasting uh, and really found that, you know, those kind of tools were helpful for people who want to reverse disease, but they're also part of my own life. They're also part of my own, um, my own practice. And because uh, I want to be able to, you know, teach from experience uh, and then really connecting in the last few years around the animal-based community just trying to get everybody to connect who, who understands that uh, people who, you know, the, the guidelines we've been handed by our government, they don't work. And vilifying animal foods, vilifying low-carb diets as if they're dangerous or keto as if it's dangerous, you know, those kind of fasting, even fasting considered dangerous. Uh, you know, th- many thousands of years of, of this practice and cultures all over the world and suddenly it's dangerous. Uh, that, in you know, we we there shouldn't be any infighting in those of us in the alternative health who are trying to help people. We need to be uh, a community that that supports each other and understands our our enemy, our true enemy, our pushback is these false ideas that are leading people in the wrong direction that are that are really been um, codified by our federal government and paid for by processed food companies, all their money behind the research and in academia. Uh, that's the true enemy. So fighting between, between someone who eats fruit, someone who eats a few more carbs is like silly. So I have podcasts. I try to I try to and kind of explore these ideas, invite people on from different um, from different I would say uh, dietary platforms or, or whatever, and really just say, hey, what's working for you, and why is it working for you, and what have you found? So uh, just to give room for for people to have that. Um, the the real you know play and like what works best for them but within um you know like a whole food setting and that's 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 where i you know not not to try to get too dogmatic about a particular dietary um you know set group of, of you know small parameters and and that's where i am now but and finding even more so as i get older with that you know af kicking, kicking ass after 50 healthy af things change even more so as you get older, as you probably found out, you know, you can't, you can't handle as much stress, uh-huh. uh, certain stressors when you get older, like you go to, you know, at 50 is very different than 40. And, uh, you, you need to let your body, let yourself change and modify your lifestyle in order to accommodate where you are right now and what your body's needs are and not be so tied into a dogma that you're not paying attention to what your body's telling you with the feedback you're getting from your body you know, in, in, in regards to your health. And that's, that's real. I'm right in the middle of that. You know, really experiencing that over the last several, like I'd say three or four years. Experiencing what? The changes and the, uh, the very, yeah. and yeah. Where I couldn't really, you know, push the needle as much with fasting and fasted workouts mm-hmm. and staying low carb without seeing um, some downside when I was overdoing it. Like I was really pushing it 
to the point that I, I was overtraining. I was, my sleep wasn't so great. Uh, my blood work was showing high um, sex hormone binding globulin, you know, showing up that, which is a result of, of stress and high cortisol levels. And so I realized, okay, I'm over, all these things are good when used in the right context. They're great tools for reversing disease. They're helpful for, um, you know, autophagy, for uh, creating a certain degree of stress, just like a workout is, right? Uh, but they can all be overused. And if you're putting them all together, you have, you have to consider the context of the entire environment around your workout, how it's affected by your diet, how that affects your sleep, and then where you are in your life with work stress, family relationships, all those other, all those things create stress that we have to manage. And if you're pushing the needle on all of them too far, you're going to feel that your body's going to push back and say, you know, we can't handle all this. It's going to try to shut you down and say, hey, slow down, you know, put on the brakes or you're overworking us. So I think you found something similar, uh, in your experience. Yeah. You, you open up, uh, an important context here and the individual variation. Um, one of the variables is your six pack, man. So if you're using these and I love how you call them tools, which is a great, uh, characterization of the uh, popular dietary and fitness, I guess we, we can call everything a tool in the toolbox. Mm. Uh, but when you start uh, overloading and you're already lean, fit, active, healthy, and energetic, um, and, and the research shows this, especially with the ketogenic diet, it, um, it benefits people with metabolic dysfunction vastly more so than someone who's already metabolically healthy. And I think um, there's been a lot of great success with people who are um, you know, trying to recover from standard American diet and yeah. living practices. And there's also been a lot of success with people going for that last five pounds. And I'm sure in your career as a trainer, you have people walking in the gym who are very enthusiastic. They watch what they eat. They work out. They just want to optimize and go from level eight to level nine. And that's where these tools, again, can come in handy. But another thing you said uh, going back is that, um, you know, we're doing infighting, we're debating the particulars, we're, we're splitting hairs, we're obsessing and possibly bringing on more um, actual stress in life because we're so uh, keyed up about all these things. And the starting point for the conversation, I'm imagining like, hey, you can't come into the, into the theater unless you have a ticket. And the ticket says that I've ditched processed foods from my diet. Then we don't have, there, there's nothing else to talk about if you don't have that ticket. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's what the real enemy is. That's what the processed oils, excessive processed sugar, processed grains, you know, it, to a degree that they're the, they take up the majority of the average American diet, right? 71% says Lorne Bourdain, uh, okay. like, holy crap, uh, 71% of foods that didn't exist in Paleolithic times. And, um, uh, Andrew Wild yeah. says that, um, 20% of all the calories in the American diet are from soybean oil alone, not to mention the other oils that you list on your Instagram so we can all keep track. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's it's such a disaster that really any departure from mainstream is gonna deliver huge benefits. So I, I can't see the books on your bookshelf if you're watching on the video, but like <laughs> if you grab any diet book off a bookshelf, even one that's kind of goofy, uh, yeah. You know, the, the brown rice and kale smoothie 30-day detox, guess what? 
it's going to deliver sensational results in 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 a short time in 30 days yep. because you're off of the Ben and Jerry's uh, and the you know the 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 really right. truly poisonous and toxic foods. Right. Yeah. Box cereal. I mean, you probably saw it. there was a, a lawsuit uh, a couple of weeks ago that th- threatened by the, the cereal companies. They wanted to. They're threatening the FDA mm-hmm. for lowering for going to lower the, the allowable amount of sugar in what was considered a healthy food and their argument was well that'll eliminate 95 percent of the cereals on the grocery store yeah as healthy foods <laughs> exactly because they have five times more sugar than they want to allow for healthy foods but the processed food companies have enough money that's the second largest lobby group in the country second only to big pharma mm. and it's like they have a lot of they're funding these research uh studies you know they 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 have a lot of pull with our, you know, our new, our uh, Academy of Nutrition Dietetics. You know, they have a lot of power with the USDA, and so that's why we have guidelines. And your doctor might be saying, "Oh no, keto might, you know, give you heart disease. Might be a might be a danger. Or might be a, you know, don't go don't go too hard. Just eat less, move more, because that allows you to eat whatever you want." Uh-huh. You know, and who can really, when you're eating those foods, who can really moderate that very well? Because they're so addictive and they're so, they stimulate hunger. They stimulate your insulin levels. They stimulate your blood sugar. No one can eat just one, right? I mean, you just keep, you're going to, you're not going to eat two chips. You're going to finish the bag. It's the, 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 the idea that you can eat just a little, I mean, few of us, we, we eat satisfying food. We eat whole food, you know, meat and fruit and you know whole foods so we get we get those satiety markers hit and if we want to let in a little bit of something that we enjoy small amount we can do that without going crazy because we've hit our satiety markers with our Uh. our whole food Mm -hmm. but if your diet is 65 percent or 71 percent processed food you've got these things that are stimulating insulin and uh you know affecting your liver's ability to to process fat and sugar um you are you're probably pretty helpless as far as willpower goes when it comes to, you know, limiting how much of these processed foods you got to be eating. You know that you're you're at the you're fighting a bigger battle than someone who's five percent of their diet is processed food and trying to limit how much you eat. Hmm. I mean, like you said, you got to eliminate it, right? To to really ch- let your body change and let your horm- hormonally go back into balance. It's not just calories; it's hormones affecting our hunger, our blood sugar, uh, how we process fats, right? So I, 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 you're dead on. As long as the ticket says get rid of processed food, then you can accurately, I think, find your balance, find what works best for you. And that may change over a year, two years, five years, 10 years, depending on where you are in your health and your age and your activity mm-hmm. level, you know, and we have to allow for that. I think there's, there's a little too much of well, I had made my Instagram handle with carnivore in it, so I better stick to carnivore. <laughs> you know, uh, you've written books, the two, you know, two meals a day, the keto diet. Um, and yet here you are very happily say, Hey, guess what? I feel so much better when I have fruit first thing in the morning, or I'm mm-hmm. eating, start eating, you know, first throughout the day to fuel my activity level because I'm healthy and I'm active and I feel good. My blood work's all great. I don't need to be overly restrictive because I'm not trying to reverse anything. I'm trying to perform. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's awesome that you're, 
you've taken that stance and that you're you're uh, giving people the opportunity to, to allow themselves to like, okay, I don't have to corral myself into this overly restrictive diet mm. for the rest of my life. You know, after I've corrected my disease, my my insulin resistance, I'm I'm fit. I've changed my lifestyle. I'm sleeping better. I'm I've got more movement in my life, and I want to do more physically. And uh, I think that's awesome that you've that you, it's kind of like, oh, it's okay to talk about that. <laughs> you know, I think it's incredible. Thank you. Uh, and and again, it's like once you punch your ticket to a clean eating lifestyle then we can start to reflect on the importance of, you know, having your stress markers in check. And if we make a scoreboard and we realize that the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, low carb, all these things are, by definition, they're inherently stressful to the body. That's the mechanism by which they deliver the benefit. So when you're in a fasted state, you're anti-inflammatory gets boosted, your immune function skyrockets immediately, um, the amazing cellular repair process of autophagy is upregulated because you're not eating. Um, that's, that's the body's response to the perceived stressor. And right. you know, um, the same thing happens when you're lifting heavy weights or doing a sprint workout or going long right. on the weekend. And so that stacking, it sounds like you've um, dabbled in you know, pushed it out to the outer edges. So I'd love to know how the journey has gone for you, where you were, um, you know, getting results with fasting, with low carb, and then uh, finding that experimentation and layering in your peak performance goals and, and adjusting and optimizing over time. Well, it's constantly optimizing. It's always looking at it. It's always paying pay attention. Uh, you know, with, with a big, I think my biggest, or, or most, the indicator I'm paying the most attention to is my sleep. And I'm, I'm monitoring it with the aura ring. I'm saying, okay, am I getting enough deep sleep? Why not? Was my sleep disturbed? Was I waking up in the middle of the night? Is cortisol suddenly shooting up at 3 a.m., waking me up? Um, it's like, okay, so what's going on? Am I am I overtraining? Did I overdo it that day? Did I work out too late? Did I eat too late? But then also, I know on days, like I try to do once a week just to keep myself disciplined and to keep, and kind of keep myself in check after a weekend, like usually Monday, I will fast until dinner. Okay. So that's a stressful day. And I will make that day. I'm going to push it. I'm going to drop some water weight. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's like a little metabolic workout for me. Instead of a, a hard workout that day, I'm just uh. fasting till dinner. And I drop, you know, two, three pounds of water easy that day. Um, and I know that night's going to be oftentimes not my best night's sleep because of the stress of that day, because of the cortisol mm. and so forth. And that's okay because I've, I've accounted for it. But at the next day, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start my day eating a little bit earlier. I want to make sure my workout is a little, try to, you know, a little earlier in the day uh, so I have time to recover from it and I can get my body back into a parasympathetic state before I go to bed. So it's that kind of thoughtfulness about I understand these these stressors I'm also not, I'm not doing as many fasted workouts as I used to if it works in my schedule and I can get it done early enough fine but several years ago if I didn't work out till one or two in the afternoon I would, I wouldn't eat first I would I would wait till one or two in the afternoon work out and then I would start eating that day at that time maybe it's a 17 18 hour fast and then have dinner and sometimes if I was busy that could happen three four times a week uh -huh. 
Well, that became, I know so that, that just, I'm, I'm overdoing it. I think I'm pulling that lever a little too hard. And so if I thought, okay, I'm not going to work out till two, I better have, I'm going to go ahead and have some breakfast. I'm going to break my routine. I'm going to break this thing that I really believed in. <laughs> really appreciate <laughs> the fasted workouts and say, I think this might be more beneficial to me at this level of leanness at my, you know, I'm, I'm insulin sensitive. What am I worried about? What am I, what am I trying to accomplish here with this? Huh. Is it better performance in my life or is it, am I, am I really tr thinking I'm trying to lose weight or improve my fasting insulin? Well, those I'm not, I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm not trying to improve my fasting insulin. I'm not trying to get leaner. I want to improve how I perform as I get older and maintain muscle mass and maintain, you know, um, have a good night's sleep, huh. which means I have to manage my cortisol levels. Well, I'm creating enough stress between my workouts, the occasional fast, eating fairly low carb. I have enough stressors. And so, and you have to work that in with your work life, your schedule, your, you know, your family schedule. And so, uh, it's constantly seems to be moving, but I, but I just noticed that I kind of hit a wall at one point a couple of years ago where it was like the sleep was not good. Huh. I was kind of, I always had that achy burn going on. You know, I'm talking about that lactic acid just there. You, fi you 50 plus athletes know what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> bit, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it was like, what, what am I doing? I'm doing everything right. I'm doing too much. I'm doing too much right. <laughs> too much right. You're scoring too, too many gold things. stars. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is like, we kind of get caught in our head with this little bit of ego. Mm. Like, no, I can keep doing this. Yeah. I keep doing what I was, I was doing this five years ago. Why can't I do it now? Mm. You know what I mean? And, um, it was, it was an ego check for sure. That's like, okay, it's okay to not have to hit a little throttle on every single one of these stressors every day or, you know, three or four or five times a week. Well, let's, you know, there's in season, there's out of season for athletes. They don't just hit stress all the time. And when they go into season, they back off on other things. They have an out of season time where they allow their body to recover. Then preseason, they do, you know, a different type of workout and they feed themselves differently. And like a lot of us in the fitness and we just go the same hard, you know, yeah. hard at it year round. That's a good, uh, compare contrast because, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming from the athletic background my entire life in the competitive setting where I have a peak performance goal. For example, now I'm going for high jumping in 400 meters and I'm very interested in my performance in those things. But in the fitness world, it seems like there's um, there's also a, a realm where you're fit just for the sake of, let's say, looking good or being fit. And fit is dramatically different than being healthy. Um, but for a competitive yeah. athlete in the major sports or in track and field, if you're not healthy, you're going to fall apart. Uh, but if a fit person still has a six pack when they're disastrously unhealthy, and we know now that the, the information is leaking out about longtime CrossFit enthusiasts, you know, that saying where you can tell a CrossFit person from across the parking lot, uh, but then you can tell them up close because of all the scars from the surgeries on their shoulders or knees or whatever. I, I think that's kind of. Uh, I don't mean to denigrate the entire, um, right. you know, protocol there, but in my experience, participating in, in not very many CrossFit workouts, but just uh, talking to people and coaching people, um, mm -hmm. um, 
about half of the workout is super awesome. And I totally support that broad-based fitness competency and the challenge of running around the block 400 meters and then coming back and climbing the rope. And I feel like around halfway through, I conclude that is the absolute optimal workout, even for a fit person like me. And the rest of it's just getting me tired and increasing injury risk. And I think that's the same for a lot of traditional fitness programming where the first 23 minutes is badass and super, you know, stimulating uh, peak performance breakthrough. And then for some reason, you can maybe come in as a trainer. Um, are you trying to earn your full dollar amount right. for the hour? So you got to work the person hard until the hour's up. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like people, people almost expect to be dragging out of a gym or out of a session. <laughs> uh, and then maybe that's, if that's their only one or two workouts a week, mm. Different. Uh, that, yeah. maybe that's a problem as well. <laughs> it's like, what else do you do? And he, yeah, I mean, just when you're baby, babysat by a trainer, you're not even I, active. You're not even doing a baseline level of walking the dog. And then right. you're going and slamming with the trainer. That's not going to, the trainers, that's not a win-win. The trainer can't help you too much. No, no, but I, I agree with you that my, usually my best workouts are, I, it's something where I'm going hard at it for about 30 minutes, huh. maybe pushing 40 sometimes, but usually that last 10, 15 minutes, I'm like, it's more of a, it's more about movement about working on a particular movement that I want to improve, but it's not hard. It's like something that's more thoughtful and uh, rotation and, and things like that, you know, working on those kind of things. And I'm working much more, especially over the last couple of years since I got older, more mobility, where I've replaced mm -hmm. some of my strength training workouts with a mobility workout, or I'm doing 30 minutes of mobility, uh, floor work, you know, trying to animal flow, that kind of stuff, you know, working like moving, like on the floor with like, you know, the, the animal movements or just stretching and, uh, maybe hanging from rings and just trying to open up the shoulders, the hips. And because we start stiffening up, you know, we, and you've seen the old guys, older guys, Right in the gym, who are just in the gym doing heavy work, all the, they walk like robots. Yeah, how about the runners, Zane? How about the marathoners? And, they're, yeah, they're they're hunched over robots, hunched over and looking like robots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so it's uh, it's it's like no, I didn't want that to be. And so I started looking at the young guys who are doing. I try to learn from them. There's there's all this new movement, these flow movements coming mm. out, and all this stuff with mobility. That's it's like it's amazing, and you just move better you feel better and i think you know there's a strength training certainly has a it's it's place every week but to try to hit it hard four or five days a week in my 50s like i did in my 20s it doesn't make sense um for me especially trying to do four or five hours of that i i just won't move well i'll start to get little aches things will tighten up hip mm. flexors you know so as gets really angry mm. and uh, the mobility stuff is still a workout. I'm still, my heart rate's up. Um, I can feel the burning in my shoulders and my triceps and, and just moving that way. But it's like, I move better. Things are more fluid, you know? Yeah. You don't have to kill yourself essentially to be super fit. And I'm referencing my occasional, uh, workouts with this great trainer in Los Angeles, Jeff Page and, um, his client, Jeff Rouse, I, I piggyback and the first few workouts in there were so easy compared to mine when I'm going to the gym and just busting myself. And Jeff, the trainer, is saying, uh, I want you on the mat for 10 minutes doing uh, this protocol with the exercise ball. 
to activate, mobilize, and all these terms like, mm -hmm. wait, I can't just walk right in and do a heavy bar deadlift. And I think a lot of people, um, maybe they like they don't perceive the, um, the 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 trainer's role appropriately, and they 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 characterize the trainer as the, the raw raw person, just you know from from the movies. Come on, one more, you got this. But really, a great trainer is so comprehensive in their approach and, and looking at the needs of the client and, and varying the, the workouts where only a small piece of the pie is raw energy expenditure and output. And the rest of it is like technique, mobility, flexibility, um, and, you know, working on competency. There's that term technical failure, which I was a new one because I always do 20 reps of my um, 45 degree dumbbell raises. And Jeff Page is behind me going, you're done. I'm like, no, no, I, that's only 17. He goes, no, you're done. You just broke because my pinched shoulder blades, the position I want to maintain, starts to cave a little bit on the last three reps. And it's like, oh, so those don't even count as reps because you just broke technical failure. And these awakenings have been wonderful, uh, even for me, you know, doing this stuff for a long time. There's always more you can kind of yes. realize how to tone down competitive intensity and do shit right especially when you're AF. <laughs> <laughs> especially when you're, because who wants, takes a lot longer to recover from an injury. And we don't, we don't want to waste time. We don't want downtime. We want mm. to do it right. Work smarter, not harder. Uh, it's, and that's what it really is about. It's so avoiding injury and being able to recover becomes much more of a focal point the older you get. Recovery is, is like the gold. <laughs> yeah, no. and also, um, you know, I've, I've been an elite athlete myself back when I was young, and of course, you could get away with a lot more. But when you actually study the elite athletes and look behind the curtain, and you know, realize what's going on, they are so genetically talented, they're so well trained. However, they never ever bury themselves in training to the extent that the average CrossFit enthusiast will. And so, you can look up. Elaine Thompson's workout on the internet or Iliad Kipchoge and they're like, wow, they trained so incredibly hard. But for them, it's like the average person doing, um, you know, five second wind sprints and then walking for a minute and doing four of those and their workouts over comparatively speaking to how much, you know, stress that prompted on the body. Same with Kipchoge, his easy day is 18 mile run at six minute pace. And you're like, whoa, what, what at altitude? Holy crap. But guess what his marathon pace is? Oh, it's four minutes and 32. So he's going a minute and a half slower than his marathon pace, which for the average marathon runner is going to mean you just went down to a, a, a brisk walk instead of a jog on your easy day. So we don't even reference this beautiful example of the elite athletes correctly because we fail to adjust for these variables like they're more genetically talented right. than you. They have you know more capability for stress and they're not even stressing themselves as much, even though they have higher capability for stress. Right. They're training at 70 or 80% of what they can actually Yeah. And you're like, accomplish. wait, wait, 70 or 80%. I'm, I'm, you know, making these calculations when I go out to the track because I have a tendency to overdo it because I get pumped up. I get excited. I feel great at the time. Then the next day I realize when I'm limping through the house, oh, shit, I might have overdone it a little bit. But it's like, <laughs> if you take your best time, or I guess in the terms of weightlifting, you know, you take 80%. Of your single rep max, you're looking at quite a modest effort, and it's hard for the average competitive-minded person, type A-driven person, to think, 
what am I doing in here, especially paying this guy to watch me as I do deadlifts with 175 pounds instead of 240 or whatever you're good at, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. And that technical failure, I think, point uh, is something that is totally overlooked when, when people think failure is when your legs are shaking, can't stand up, and you're, and I, th- hmm. I yeah, function. It has to be functional, you know. And I think as the older we get, the more so we have to think about functionality. What is this really helping me do? But I do like your comparison to, to athletes. They train what they the amount they need to train to help performance for a particular sport or activity, and then they judge their performance or they judge their uh, success based on the performance in the activities, not judging the performance in their training uh-huh. as far as in the gym with the weights or with it. It's more about, okay, well, how does this facilitate better performance in my sport or in my given favorite activity? And, or, and, if, and if, if you don't have that, how about in your life? So we have to look at what are your performance indicators, whether that's your sleep, mm-hmm. it's your mood, how well you're doing at your career. Are you run down when you're going to work because you've been pushing it too hard? Or are you hitting that work, you know, your business like an athlete? Are you mm-hmm. hitting it with uh, uh, that full throttle? Because that's where do you want to perform? I don't think the gym should be the place where we ultimately judge our performance. Hey, ladies, you may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. And unless you're unless you're going for the pro powerlifting, right? But I mean, if that's you know? if that's your sport, then yeah. judge it for that for your sport. But I mean, even those guys that take time off where they're like working on technique, speed. You know, they're going with a lighter weight to, to move, like how how quickly can I move this? So they can't. Even those guys aren't doing one to three maxing their one or three rep max every time they go in the gym they might do that you know periodically but then there's what's 80 percent of that and let's work on speed let's work on form let's work on 
because if they're hitting one rep max at their top end, 100% every single time, they know they're going to overdrive. They know it. But that's what the average person does when they go in the gym. They hit maximum level every time they go in. And over time, they do that. If they, if they get that going often enough, they're going to overtrain or injure themselves, like you said. Yeah. So um, I think that is a paradigm shift we need. And to change, again, more mobility. I've seen you you have your own mobility routine as well. That's, you can't under, you shouldn't underplay that. You shouldn't under, people shouldn't think, well, that's just stretching. Well, that's not really a workout. That's not really, that doesn't count as my activity. No, that counts. (laughs) (laughs) That counts. I mean, you make, I would say you make that count. You had to shift time. You had to make time for that. You had to make energy for that, correct? I mean, you- yeah, I think one one big adjustment in the older age groups here is that I'm doing so much more under the radar type of activity and much fewer uh, badass workouts where I'm going right. in the gym and kicking butt and shuffling out. And those feel good to the ego. They right. give you that boost of endorphins. So you're in this pain-killing euphoric state after pushing yourself. And again, the harder you push yourself, the more endorphins are flowing the more you're going to be on this chemical high afterward. However, the consequences are much more severe. So I continue to make this mistake today where I, I dialed it up a little too many notches, <laughs> and then I experience maybe it's a three-day um, you know, delayed recovery, or in the case I, you know, I had foot surgery last November, as the listeners are probably aware of. And so I look at that with, you know, a big giant L on my forehead, like you idiot, you obviously overdid it because you don't go into the surgical room unless you made mistakes in your training protocol. And my mistake was going to the track and feeling great because it's so fun to push yourself and challenge yourself and set goals and time yourself. And I thought I was doing fine because at the time when you get uh, inflamed uh, joints and connective tissue, they feel fine, even if they were a little achy and creaky beforehand. So now like one of my new insights, you're talking about sleep as a metric, and I want to talk more about that. But like one of my insights now is like when I get out of bed first thing in the morning and walk down the hall, that is my most important assessment of joint connective tissue function and status not 27 minutes into my morning routine when everything feels fine and is warmed up and my stiff lower back is now, you know, feeling okay. And um, boy, that's kind of an awakening that Dr. Galato said, uh, quote, the tendons fool you when they become inflamed, end quote. And I'm like, holy shit, of course they do. Because every time I went to the track and worked out, I wasn't having this horrible aching heel. That was only the next morning after my workout where everything warmed up and felt fine. Mm, that's true. Yeah, once they warm up, all the, the fluids flowing in the joints and uh, it's warm and blood flows going. Yeah, it covers up the pain by necessity. It's like survival, really, for if you were, you know, a, a human trying to like catch food or run away from a predator, you, you there was no time for pain. You had to you had to mm. get your thing done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, that that morning, like, what did I do now? Kind of question. It's just like you know, why does that hurt this morning? What did I do in the middle of the night? No, it wasn't what you did in the middle of the night. It's what you did yesterday or the day before that's catching up with you as everything cools down. And that, you're right, that's a great indicator of, of where you are. 
So tell me about how sleep has become the centerpiece of your uh, evaluation of your lifestyle, your training program, and everything put together. Well, it's definitely a work in progress. I'll tell you that. Um, I'm still figuring it out, but I'm looking at, I'm using Aura Rain. Whoop is a good one too, but I think some, we need some metric just to say, okay, I was in bed for seven hours or eight hours. Mm. I don't think that's enough. Mm. I think we need to start looking at qual- sleep quality. And so there's a lot of metrics measured by those things like body temp, heart rate, um, restlessness, right? Your oxygenation, um, time in deep phase of deep sleep, and then time in, in REM sleep. And I, I've seen that many men, especially as they get older, um, they start losing that deep sleep gets much, uh, much narrower. You know, they get very, very they get less and less deep sleep or it's random. They randomly get in the right, which you want about 10 to 15% of your sleep time to be in the deep sleep phase. And many of us are coming up short at like three, 4%. We're not feeling recovered. We're feeling a little sluggish. We're not recovering from our workouts. And I th- there's a lot of things that can affect that, like alcohol, right? Um, eating a big meal too late can certainly affect that. Staying up too late, the whole Netflix and, you know, let's just watch one more and push your bedtime back an hour, hour and a half, two hours. When And, and you, if, if that window of time for deep sleep is, is early in your, usually early in your uh, sleep schedule, in your, in your night of sleep. Mm-hmm. So you can push, you can disrupt that just by, Staying up too late, uh, overtraining can certainly affect that. So, uh, I'm trying to judge, okay, why, you know, I kind of look at it. What happened? What disrupted my sleep? Have I been pushing the hard workouts too much? Okay. Take some time, just do some walking, some activity, you know, know, light activity, stretching, try to stretch and nasal breathe before going to bed, hot showers, those kind of things to help with getting your body ready for that. Um, and, and those, and, and those other indicators like body tip, if it's not getting low enough, if your heart rate is staying too high, all of those things, they're one, they're, they're affected by what you did that day, or maybe the previous days and they're affected and they have an effect on the quality of your sleep. And so, um, I, since recovery is really the, the focal point that keeps you moving, keeps us moving forward, right? It allows us to keep. We can push through it if we want to, but you know, the question is, should we, how are we recovering, especially as we age? That's what's going to keep us out of the hospital, out of the surgical room, you know, out of, keep us moving forward and performing well at our given careers is our ability to recover. And too often that is sabotaged. And I think sleep has, we say, oh yeah, you definitely need sleep, but well, how do we measure that? And so it's easy to measure food. We have all these food trackers. Our workouts, you know, we, it's, it's obvious because we're awake, but when you're, you really don't know how you're sleeping <laughs> when you're asleep, when you're in bed, unless it's just obvious that you didn't do it. And so looking at these metrics, I'm trying to look, say, well, what had the negative effect, what had a positive effect and getting in that parasympathetic state prior to bed seems to be, uh, the key the, rather than going, go, 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 go. And then like some people keep, you know, you keep working. You keep talking about work stuff to work, taking work calls, working, you know, at your computer right at the time, you know, 10 minutes before you go to bed, you're no wonder your brain will turn off, right? It's having downtime, not putting a heavy meal in your belly, um, not trying to, you know, have a heavy workout right before going to bed. I mean, you wouldn't do that. We, we know better than that, right? We're not going to go do deadlifts an hour before we go to bed. 
that doesn't make you're gonna you're pumping your body out. So, um, but all of these factors I think have been underestimated. At least they were in my life. Uh, the impact of these factors on our on our sleep, and so moving my evening meal, making sure I've got that evening meal done by a certain time, making sure my bedtime fits in a certain window, um, getting away from the phone and getting away from work a couple hours before, you know, work-related activities, at least two, maybe three hours before bed, uh, blue light blocking glasses to try to keep out any kind of LEDs and, you know, just light, the, the full spectrum light coming into your eyes, limit it as much as possible. Um, those kind of practices, which would really emulate maybe if we were just you know 200 years ago working on a farm well when the sun goes down uh, you can't do much more work you, you might read by candlelight but you're not going to have a lot of light blazing in your eyes you're not going to be doing heavy labor you've been doing that all day and um as you know getting up and getting some sunlight in your eyes first thing also impacts the, your quality of your sleep so get outside see the sunrise get walks get get outside in some way to get sunlight in your eyes during the day. And those little things have a big impact in your body's understanding of your circadian rhythm and, and then knowing when to get in that parasympathetic state. But I think in our current lifestyle, especially in the West, where it's very career-driven, it's very go, 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 it's so hardcore. It's like, well, I haven't got my workout in yet. So 7.30, I think I'll just try to squeak it in now uh, and then try to be in bed in two hours it's 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 we're over again over leveraging these stressors and it's uh it's gonna it, it it definitely has an impact on our sleep quality and so i have i don't say oh, i've got it figured out but i can certainly tell like oh yeah i could i i overdid it here here and here's the here's the uh the results um or i ate too late that night or i was up too late doing working on a project and um, my, my brain just didn't turn off. So I woke up at 3 a.m. staring at the ceiling with my heart going boom, 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 boom. Mm. You know? Mm. So um, it's, again, a work in progress, but I'm paying attention to it. I'm monitoring it, <laughs> trying to manage it. Um, but I'm finding it more and more important and more as I get older to to make sure that that is something I pay attention to so that I can perform well and, and recover. And it's become more vital to me now than than ever, you know? Do you think the technology gives you additional insights beyond waking up in the morning and feeling okay or feeling a little drag ass? I, th I think it helps. It gives me some insight in that, okay, what what metric was off? So was my heart rate too high? Heart rate's okay. okay my body temp was a little high. Well, maybe that's because I ate too late. Or um, it, it, it's, it helps. It, I mean... I, you could argue maybe you've got too many metrics to worry about, but um, for me, the metrics help me look back and say, okay, what would have affected this particular thing that's off? Or do I feel good because of the amount of time I spent in bed or was it because my deep sleep specifically was a little bit longer that night? Um, and what did I do? It allows me to see what I did right like over the day. Okay, what, did, what went right? what was the effect what went wrong you know without a bad night of deep sleep mm. okay what did i do that may have affected that and it's allowed me to look a little closer at like just how sensitive uh, my deep sleep is to certain lifestyle habits 
uh-huh. to try to put connect them together, you know, to, as as a, as a, in terms of timing, you know, that for that day. So I mean, I'm a geek on this stuff, so I just try to you know metrics are kind of fun in a sense. Yeah, that's also an important statement because you hear people um, averse to it. My man Mark Sisson is, is is touting himself as the anti-tech guy, and I kind of have a lower tech approach to training, just from my history of going around and riding my bike before we had wattage meters and things like that, and you know right. just being like reluctant to um, to 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 fill up with more technology. However, the the mere um, fact that you're a geek about it. It implies that you have, you know, a heightened interest and awareness to getting optimal sleep and also good critical thinking ability to realize that, yes, that late night meal with the alcohol did indeed adversely impact your sleep. It's kind of an obvious insight, but the fact that you're tracking it and noticing it and you have your beautiful little graph with a bunch of smiley faces and then a, a frown, um, I think we all deserve to be more connected to the importance of health rather than just breezing through our days, weeks, and years uh, with, you know, putting it on uh, number seven on the priority list. Right. Well, I mean, and I, I, I respect, actually, Mark Sisson's figured several things out. He's 70 years old and are turning 70 this year. I think he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's like the epic, you know, 70-year-old man right now. I mean, he, you know, he's just a, he's a stud. He's been the leader in all of these things. And I, I certainly would respect his decision. Hey, if his sleep is working for him and he doesn't need to manage it with tech, God bless him. You know, uh, I envy him. I hope I get to that point. Um, for me, it was a point of, of, it was my, it was like my Achilles heel. It was like the thing that was affecting my ability to really recover um, or it was an, or as a good indicator of what my lifestyle and my choices were, were creating. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to get eyes on it because um, a little closer and get a little more geeky about it because it was so important and I had been missing it. I had been missing it for so, missing it as a indicator or as a, uh, for so long. It's like, okay, what am I doing? How close, how much do I need to thread this stuff? Back? How much do I need to pull back on the fasting? Do I sleep better when I, I sleep better when I have breakfast? Imagine that. So I have a full breakfast, maybe a workout and then and a meal after workout meal and then dinner at an early hour. Oh my gosh, the schedule affects my improves my sleep more so than trying to push an 18 hour fast four days a week you know and pack in two giant meals with a workout before the first one that's you know high stress work so it it, it may be it, i don't know if it gave me i would say it gave me the reason to throttle back but it gave me the metrics i needed to say okay so everything i've been you know going full throttle on um, is that because of my level of, of, you know, diving into those things, it was, was having a negative impact and I needed the metrics to show me, um, what having a more moderate routine in those regards, you know, wow. allowing myself to be fueled yeah. before a workout, allowing myself to get, uh, fed early in the day really had a benefit to this area where I was lacking. And so it was almost like gave me the, the excuse to not have to go so hard. It was like, give me the excuse to, to take care of myself and not feel like I had to pound my head into the wall with every single thing I was doing with my diet, with my exercise and, and say, okay, it's, it's good to have recovery days. It's good to have more moderate workouts. It's good to 
to feed. It, it, so most of, I see most of fitness, I, I see this for a long time, especially with the bodybuilder world, everything's about anabolic. It's going to be anabolic, anabolic, anabolic. So you see this overfeeding, overfeeding, overfeeding. Um, and I've always thought, you know, we, we can't truly have anabolic response. You need some catabolic in there to create that kind of your slingshot, right? You need to pull back and then you, you have catabolic, anabolic. It's a balance. You got to, if you have, if you're just fed, 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 that's like say high insulin, high insulin, high insulin all the time. Well, obviously we know you get ultra growth, you get, you know, tons of growth. Well, that's not always good. Devil, you need some time where you, you have cleanup, you have repair, you have time to, to, um, to kind of clean house, so to speak. And to make insulin more, making your body more sensitive to insulin, it needs a time when it doesn't have it hitting it all the times. But I was going too far anabolic. And so it's finding that balance between anabolic and catabolic that we all want, where we have the health and longevity benefits from the catabolic state periodically, and then have recovery with the anabolic and growth and performance. And it's, it's, it's again, finding that balance and, uh, sleep just, I just found sleep to be my, one of my better metrics for determining if I was hitting that balance. Right. If you're just measuring fitness, fitness is a fight or flight engagement to see how, how much you can lift the bar up or how fast you can run around the block. And that's not going to be, um, relevant to your overall state of, you know, stress, rest, balance, and, and long-term uh, well-being because we haven't checked in on the parasympathetic side and uh, seeing if you're nurturing that. So I like that. You can go track your fitness during the day and then track your sleep at night. And um, hopefully those things will trend together in a, in a positive nature. They they have to. They need to, for sure. And, and again, I think as we age, becomes more and more important to, to pay attention and, and make sure that's happening because I mean, it's just not, it, it's not, it's not easy. That's what he said. It's not easy as we get older to stay healthy, to stay fit, to have that motivation and your motivation can be affected. Your mood can be affected if you're a rundown, if you're constantly running yourself down, mm. it's going to affect your mood. It's going to affect your performance in that workout, your ability to stay focused, your career, your family. You don't want to get moody with the wife because you're working out too much. That's not a good idea. <laughs> so uh, you want to have patience. You want to be able to enjoy uh, your life and not just think you are you have to beat yourself into some sort of submitted fitness, you know, God of some sort. You know, this is not, well, we can't be Marvel superheroes because we're just pounding, pounding. You know, that's, that's, um, it's we we have to we have to live in these bodies and we want them to last a while you know what i mean and mm. the joints the the nervous system the you know your, your hormone like you said the parasympathetic balance those are all important things to nurture and and as you said it seems like it's all been about fitness the gym muscles strength you know the, the weight on the bar that has been the primary metric for so long that i think we're we we're missing we're missing what it's really for, mm-hmm. you know, which is to perform it on the performance side. And that's your everyday life. How does that, how is that affecting how you engage with people and, and, and complete and finish your goals for your life on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. And I think, think about, um, I mean, there's a lot of people who are completely neck, neglecting their fitness and they may be looking at us thinking, 
those people are crazy. They're just beating themselves up. Yeah. But but if you think about getting yourself in a healthy state in your 50s and 60s, what that would do to your career, what would it mean financially or personally to add 10 more years, healthy years to your career life when you're at the peak of your career, when you're at the point of your life, you have the most witness and wisdom and insight and experience, and yet your body's falling apart and you can't put it to work. You can't leverage that. I mean, we need to think about how do we make these things come together where you have a healthy body, great sleep, your, your career is, is still, you're pushing forward and accomplishing whatever goals it is you want to accomplish. And you have the energy, uh, to go have fun as well in these, in this time of your life when you probably have the means and the time to do so more so than you did in, in your thirties and forties, because you've created some level of success. There's a benefit to, to health that, that a level of health that would keep you out of the hospital, off the meds mm. and really able to, to function on a high level at the same time, you're at the peak of your experience and wisdom in life. Yeah, usually those maybe don't match up too well. They don't. They kind of yeah. pass each other right about 43, 44. Yeah. They got to go, you know. Yeah. And so to keep, be able to keep going with that, I think that if we start posing fitness for people our age in that light, like what does that mean? What would that mean to you to have 10 or 15 extra years in your career? We think about life expectancy going to 80 and 90s. Well, Maybe we need to change our paradigm about what 50s and 60s need to look like and what kind of yeah. health and fitness we need to be in in our 50s, 60s, and 70s um, when our life expectancy is, is, is being pushed out 10 or 15 years as well. You know, maybe in your work life, work at what you want to do, work as much as you want. Maybe you could pull back, you don't work as often. But to still have those things you can, you're able to do because you want to do them. You're working at things that you enjoy and they keep you busy, keep you ch you're moving towards goals that are bigger than you that you want to achieve into your 70s. How awesome is that? Like your buddy Mark launching a, uh, a shoe company at, at mm. 69 years old, you know? I mean, that's epic. I mean, who launches companies at, at 70 years old? So. Yeah. So with your clients, uh, over the years, what are some of the trends that you've seen? Like, what are they coming in looking for at first? Do they respond to uh, some commentary like you just provided? Uh, and you know, what are some of the challenges you've had to work against when we're, when we're looking at, you know, average people coming into the gym, well-meaning, well-intentioned, um, somewhat of goal-driven and, and motivated in, enough to, to hire a trainer and then we, you know, try to um, bring them to the next level. Mm. Yeah, changing, making some lifestyle changes is often difficult because especially depending on their, their level of fitness, but many times they have their, um, they're at a point in their career, many of them are successful. I go to a lot of people's homes. So they have a home gym situation. They are experiencing that. They, they want to keep going in their career, keep charging hard, but um, their body's starting to pull back. And it's changing their diet, maybe pulling back on the alcohol, those kind of things. I mean, they're, they're willing to put the work in to do the workout, to do a workout a couple of times a week, and then maybe add some walking in, maybe some moderate activity. But I think diet and lifestyle where they're like, you know, they've been having fun 
right? They've been enjoying this time in their life. They have a little more means, a little more time, and they can afford, you know, a little bit of, of uh, you know, better better food, better wine, that kind of thing, more fun time, have, having a little more fun. And it's understanding that, uh, you know, they can still enjoy their life without having to have everything such a, you know, rich level of, you know, indulgence, you know, <laughs> and I think, uh, that they're, they're actually going to, they're going to feel better and they're going to, their blood work's going to improve, but just by making adjustments in their, in the frequency at which they enjoy that alcohol or, um, how late they're eating or maybe shutting down their work life a little earlier in the evening. Uh, so they're not on the phone 15, 16 hours a day trying to close deals. It's like, you know what, let's, how about, can, can you still be successful and, and, and keep it to a 12 hour day? Maybe, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, uh, the, it's those kind of habits where that, what got them there. So the level of output and the, and the work level that got them to that point of success, um, has become a habit and they often, it's kind of like what, how we might've been with fitness. We have to allow ourselves to pull back, throttle back a little bit and understand that, uh, that level of stress at some point is going to catch up with you and it's causing increased cortisol levels. It's going to, that's going to affect your heart. It's going to affect your insulin levels. It's going to affect that visceral fat building up under, under the belly and, uh, that alcohol. Yeah. You cannot drink like you did when you were 35. You're going to have to scale back. That's affecting that visceral fat cortisol levels. You know, uh, it, it's your sleep. Um, and there's those reality checks where, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's hard, sometimes hard for them to, to understand as well. They can't just, they want to just go in and do a workout and feel like that's going to fix it. And you really need to take a complete lifestyle approach where you're looking at, you have to prioritize your sleep schedule. You need to, you know, like I was doing, will you affect with your meal schedule? What is your, you know, how often are you drinking? Um, getting away from, from work a few hours before bed to let your body calm down and get a parasympathetic state. That's be much harder as we get older, you know? So it's accepting that, um, your age has an impact and your, your, these things you've been, you've accustomed to, they brought you this level of success that for the last 15, 20 years, maybe that level of work isn't isn't benefiting you right now. It might benefit your bank account, but it's you not. Being so, you're being so gentle, kind, and loving. You're hitting, the, hitting these guys with the, you know, the reality insight. Dude, <laughs> wake up. It yeah. may not be benefiting you, possibly not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, your body. Your body's pushing back. Let's look at, look at your blood work. Look at that gut hanging over mm. your belt. Mm. You know, it, that it's unnecessary to, to be there at 55, 65 years old. We know this because there's, there's healthy people in those age groups. You don't have to, you can still be successful yeah. and not, and work hard without being unhealthy in your fifties and sixties. We know that now that way may not have been the, the, the model or the paradigm in the seventies and eighties. Uh, yeah. But it Jeff is well, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the executive, uh, legend, Jack Wells from GE and his, his autobiography. And one of my favorite passages in there, most memorable 
was how he was talking about how the, the leading executives were all expected to come in and work on Saturday. It was just part of the culture at GE, and he didn't think anything of it. We wanted to dominate the world and all that. And he says, I missed out on a lot of life experiences uh, due to that you know, corporate culture. For example, my children, blah, 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 blah. And it's like he used his children as a for example or a for instance. Like, let me think of an example. Oh, my children, which, you know, for me as a parent, like my kids were the centerpiece of my life when I was raising them. I couldn't imagine, you know, missing out due to the corporate culture of being expected to show up and work another day after we worked five hard days already. But it was so right. funny as he just like listed that as, as one of the examples besides his golf score and his um, whatever else, you know, time watching movies and his children. Whew, rough, man. But yeah, we're, we're evolving now to realize that we can excel on different platforms and that they, you know, weave together and an executive's physical fitness is certainly going to support their um, their cognitive performance and yeah. their overall, you know, management of the stress of uh, running a business or, you know, excelling at a high level in career. Right. Right. And, and, and for longevity, I mean, to, to continue to be able to continue to do that. Yeah. Beyond, beyond the- it's like longevity. You're talking about extending your career peak performance, but like, what about if you are a badass and you get to retire and you're a broken down piece of crap with all this money? It's like, what was all that for? You know? Right. Right. Wow. You, now you manage your meds and, and you're, you know. <laughs> hey, you move like, closer to, you know, pe- people are moving and referencing that there's there's good hospitals in the area. I'm like, holy fuck. If that's one of my protocols <laughs> for where I want to spend my, my later years, right. um, you know, just, just slap me in the face. Right. Right. That should, yeah. There's good healthcare nearby. Oh, Oof, wait. Brutal. What? Yeah. Oh. How about a gym? Is there a good, any trainers around? <laughs> ask the real car. Show me. Yeah. Can you show me some trails instead of a hospital? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're exactly. fighting a good fight, man. Uh, tell us a little bit about your relatively newly launched podcast and especially how you came out of the gate swinging with these great, um, you know, uh, uh, orations where you're you're taking down, you're, you're taking on the big uh, pillars of uh, conventional wisdom and uh, kicking out of the gate really nicely there. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's called Healthy AF, which stands for Healthy After 50 now. If, <laughs> if AF, wants, you want to interpret that as After 40 or and Fabulous or as whatever you want to put on there, that's whatever one of HU. But for me, it was Healthy After 50 because I'm 52. And I like, you know, maintaining health, longevity, long-term. That's what it's about. So like you said, at the first of the podcast, you know, whether you're under 50 and you want to be healthy after 50, listen up. If you're over 50 and you got some catching up to do, definitely listen up. Uh, this, so I did, I wanted, I, I packed in about six episodes for launch that were just me talking about some of my basic pillars, like avoiding seed oils, understanding why our nutrition guidelines are so skewed in the wrong direction, taking us first for so long because of the, the influence of, of uh, processed food companies on our on our, um, on those who, who make our guidelines and, uh, just, and, you know, movement, sleep, diet, you know, those big three pillars, if you can manage those levers, you're, you don't have to get too, you don't have to tinker too much. If you get those three things in line, you've, you're 80% towards perfection. I mean, you really have, um, those are, those are your biggest levers. So I want to come out with some kind of basic rules or I say rules, but ma- mantras that I follow and then make them, uh, make them how they work for you. You know what I mean? They have to fit into your lifestyle. And that's why I did do the one episode 
as you mentioned about let's let's just avoid processed food, stick to whole food, and be and understand who the real enemy is, and be on the same side. You know, understand that a you know this plant based diet stuff that's coming at us right now is leaving out a very important group food group that that provides health for us that we cannot recover from, and we cannot live long term in a healthy state without animal foods. You know, that is my opinion. I don't think that they're replaceable. And so I'm okay with saying, hey, animal-based or some level of, you know, animal-centric foods, those those should be part of our whole food diet. Uh, But, you know, how much, what that that looks like, how much plant, you know, whole food versus animal whole foods you have, figure that out with your lifestyle. So those kind of things where it's like, let's not, let's not get too dogmatic. Let's set down some pillars, but understand what the real enemy is. And it's these toxic foods that didn't exist 200 years ago coming into our system. And that's where we've seen the changes in um, metabolic disease of the last 100 years, starting, you know, 1911 with Crisco and moving on to soybean oils. And then we see the, the beginning of heart disease showing up in our, in our Western culture over the last 100 years. We see diabetes starting to get tracked not until the 50s we didn't even have evidence of type type 2 diabetes until the 30s um obesity level was one percent 1900 now it's at 42 heading towards 50 and even in the 70s it was like in the what 10 11 percent wow. 70s and so these are new things we aren't dying from famine war uh infectious disease anymore we've created our own diseases out of our diet and our culture and uh, of, of, you know, quick, easy food, highly processed food, restaurants using these processed oils. And this is, we have to call out what the real enemy is here and not think that a calorie is a calorie. You know, we can just scale back on the amount that we eat, but what, what we choose to eat is, you know, kind of just, just depends on the, what the, the calorie count. Um, that's led people in the wrong direction for at least 50 years now. <laughs> and uh, so that's what I kind of came out of the gate swinging with. And and I'm looking forward to having more guests on. I want to have you on for sure. Love uh, uh, but to, because um, I just, oh, again, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of people responding who are in their 30s and 40s uh, to the healthy, uh, healthy after 50 message because they want that. They want, they know they got to start now in their thirties and forties. If they want to be truly healthy when they hit 50, keep going. That's not something it's really, it's not really easy to turn that around once you're in your fifties, you're much better off starting that lifestyle, uh, ahead of time and just cruising into 50 with like, okay, I'm making some minor adjustments to adjust for age, time recovery right? and tinkering like you and I are, um, because we've had a, a, a lifestyle that was focused on uh, on our health. And uh, even for us, we have to make changes. You know, we, we, we're, we're still learning. Um, but I, I wanted to be that kind of create that place where it wasn't just um, a, a place for dog, dietary dogma, but more like let's get on a journey, figure out what here's some things that I found that work really well, weave these into your lifestyle. And, and make adjustments that, that work best for your level of wherever you want to reverse disease or you're maintaining a healthy metabolism and your activity level. And what's that, what's that 
you know, doing to your, your sleep and your career and really make it more of an open community of let's, let's just, um, share what we're learning without being dogmatic. <laughs> and Love the same. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Uh, People go over and listen to Healthy AF, Healthy After 50 podcast, Zane Griggs. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to being on your show someday. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Zane Griggs. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code Brad20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Thank you so much for listening to the BRAD podcast. We appreciate all feedback and suggestions. Email podcast at bradventures.com and visit bradkearns.com to download five free ebooks and learn some great long cuts to a longer life, how to optimize testosterone naturally, become a dark chocolate connoisseur, and transition to a barefoot and minimalist shoe lifestyle.